So Matthew, the 13th chapter, a very simple message, and I kind of, um, I kind of fashioned this message today simply uh, around the event of this evening and the next couple of days, just to kind of share my heart just a little bit. So chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus is teaching in parables. One thing you need to know about parables is parables are the keys to the kingdom. The parables are the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to say that one more time. The parables are the keys to the kingdom. And for you and I, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you in the kingdom? Oh, come on. How many kingdom dwellers do we have in this room right now? You're living in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, now there's a literal kingdom that one day we will stand in and help rule and reign in. But while we're here, it's represented in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Oh, I'm already preaching and I hadn't even got started. Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be a long day. Did you bring your lunch? All right. Someone said, yes, they did bring their lunch. All right. They know me. Verse 1. Later that day, Jesus left the house and sat by the lake shore to teach the people. How many know there's value in teaching somebody something? You can tell somebody something all day long, but if you teach them, it sticks with them forever. So look at this. Later that day, Jesus left the house and sat by the lake shore to teach the people. Soon there were so many people surrounding him that he had to teach sitting in a boat while the large crowd stood on the shore. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I do know about Christian Lewis. And if he's going to follow Jesus, he's going to teach out of a boat. I know. He'll be going, let me tell you how to catch fish. That's just how he operates. That's how he rolls. Everybody knows they got me down at the lake the other day and got me on a pontoon boat and started pulling people behind it, and they were doing all kinds of dives and turns, and I turned up as green as a gourd. I was about ready to, to, to talk to the fish on the other side of the boat over the railing, and uh, so they finally had to stop, and everybody's fun ended so they could get pastor in his frail little condition back to the shore. <laughs> But Jesus was sitting in a boat while the large crowd stood on the shore, and he taught them many things by using stories, parables, to illustrate spiritual truths, saying, Consider this. There was a farmer who went out to sow seeds, and as he cast his seeds, some fell along the beaten path, and the birds came and ate them. And others fell onto the gravel that had no topsoil. They quickly shot up, but when the days grew hot, they were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. Others fell among the thorns, so they, when they sprouted, the thorns choked them. But other seeds fell on good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest." Some yielded 30, some 60, and some even 100 times as much as he planted. 
If you're able to understand this, then you need to respond. Then his disciples approached Jesus and asked him, Why do you always speak to people in these hard-to-understand parables? And he explained, You've been given the intimate experience of insight into the hidden mysteries of the realm of heaven's kingdom. But they have not. For everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. How many understand that the word of God expands in you? Mm-hmm. Here we go. But those who don't listen with an open, teachable heart, even the understanding that they think they have will be taken from them. In other words, if you're going to play, you're going to pay. Oh, I know this isn't popular. Mark Zuckerberg wishes he could reach in here and slap me. But that's why I teach the people using parables, because they think they're looking for truth, yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. And although they will listen to me, they will never fully perceive the message I speak. The prophecy of Isaiah describes them perfectly. Although they listen carefully to everything I speak, they don't understand a thing I say. They look and pretend to see, but the eyes of their hearts are closed. Their minds are dull and slow to perceive. Their ears are plugged and are hard of hearing. And they have deliberately shut their eyes to the truth. Otherwise, they would open their eyes to see and open their ears to hear and open their minds to understand. Then they would turn to me and I would instantly heal them. Let me take just a break for just a second right there. How many of you prayed for somebody, sought for somebody, longed for somebody to get this message And yet it seems that it just keeps falling upon deaf ears and deaf ears. And the more you talk, the less it seems like it sinks in. How many have ever had that moment, but something down in your heart just cannot give up on them? You know that that there's good soil underneath all of that hardness, that all it needs is a little more tilling, a little more working, a a little more watering. Amen? Verse 16. But blissful are your eyes. For they see. Delighted are your ears, for they are open to hear all these things. Many prophets and godly people yearn to see these days of miracles that you've been favored to see. They would have given everything to hear the revelation that you have been favored to hear. Now you are ready to hear the explanation of the parable of the sower. What was sown along the path represents the one who listens to the message of the kingdom but doesn't understand it. The adversary then comes and snatches away what was sown into his heart. The one sown on gravel represents the person who gladly hears the kingdom message but his experience remains shallow. Shortly after he hears it, troubles and persecutions come because of the kingdom message that he received. How many have been tried since you came to Jesus? All right. Then he quickly falls away for the truth didn't sink deeply into his heart. Verse 22. 
The one sown among thorns represents one who receives the message, but all of life's busy distractions and his divided heart and his ambition for wealth result in suffocating the kingdom message, and it becomes fruitless. Oh, but what was sown on good, rich soil represents the one who hears and fully embraces the message of the kingdom. Their lives bear good fruit, and some yield a harvest of 30, and 60, and even 100 times as much as was sown. I'm going to end with that right there. I know this is one of the most uh, elementary and first of the very first parable that Jesus is recorded teaching in the Word. And so it's very, very important that we get this one. This is the one Jesus started with. He wants us to understand that there are those in the world who hear the message but either refuse to receive it or they receive it and get distracted away from it. I want to talk a little more about good soil today if I can because I believe that you are good soil. If you're good soil, look at your neighbor and say, hey, Fruity, how you doing? <laughs> I had to break up the tension. It just looked rough. This message is recorded in both uh, Matthew, the 13th chapter, Mark, the 4th, and Luke, the 8th chapter. And it, it deals with the human heart. Now, when I say the human heart, it's, I'm not talking about the beating muscle in your chest behind your ribcage. I'm talking about the soul and the spirit of a man. Because the soul and the spirit of a man is either receptive or non-receptive soil that Jesus is speaking of in this kingdom parable. Every man, woman, boy, or girl is ripe for the planting of God's truth. You see, God makes sure that we hear it. God makes sure that the seed gets scattered to whomsoever will. Because God wishes that no one would perish. The punishments for those who choose to never accept Christ but to continue to live self-willed or to live in the worship of demons or idols, that punishment that they choose in this life was never intended for mankind at all. This is why God has worked so hard and so feverishly to send Christ Jesus to bring us to the place where we can have an encounter that buys us back, purchases, purchases us back from Adam's treasonous act. What Adam handed over was certain was, was his dominion, and what he received was certain death. And because you're from the lineage of Adam, we're all born in the condition of a sinner. There is, according to the word, an age of accountability. Somewhere around the age of 13 or so, but it's really when a child understands the, the true difference between right and wrong. 
And every one of us make choices in life as to what we're going to do, how we're going to live, and who we're going to worship. Some of us worship self. Some of us worship the activities of life. But rich soil worships God. Rich soil is not afraid to bow in the here and now. Not afraid to be embarrassed. Not afraid to call out his name. And I believe that you're rich soil. If you're rich soil, give your neighbor a high five. I'm listening for how many of those slaps I hear. That lets me know how big this altar call needs to be right here. But I believe that every man, woman, boy, and girl is ripe for the planting. But the question is, will they receive the planting of the Word of God? Because the richest seed offered to the human race is the Word of God. Everything else is just weeds and underbrush and thorns and bushes and clutter. But the Word of God, that is the seed that produces harvest. The Word of God is so important because it is eternal. This book is printed material. Left on your shelf, it makes no difference whatsoever. But if you happen to crack this open, rather you're sitting in a jail cell, or under a bridge, or in the fanciest home in town, if you crack this open, it'll crack you open. If you crack this Bible, it will crack the unnecessary things in you and find a way into the good soil of your spirit and soul, and it will begin to get deep-rooted in you, and it will become a seed that produces harvest. That word is alive, and I'm going to prove it to you because Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 12th and 13th verse says this, for the word of God is alive and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. Mm-hmm. I'm too heavy to run across the back of the chairs like I used to. For the Word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative. It works. It's energizing. It builds you up. It'll build you up in your most holy faith. It'll strengthen you for the day ahead. And it is effective. All the effectual prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And a righteous man can't even pray a right prayer unless he knows the word. Because when he knows the word, he knows who he is. And if he knows who he is, he knows how to pray because he knows the promises that are in the word are yes and amen. And whatever comes out of his mouth will produce life. And wherever he goes, it will change the heart and the life of someone else. They could be sitting in your barber chair and getting a haircut and getting the seeds of God planted in their heart. And they can become born 
born again. This guy's one of the most radical evangelists in our church because he's cutting your hair. He'll put a knife to your, a razor to your throat if he has to and say, hey, do you want to get born again or should I shave you now? I made that up. But I can't tell you how many people have darkened this church door because they tell me I, I, met, I met Tracy Philly. And he's, he's kind and he's got that low, cool voice. How many people here have encountered Tracy and, and, and it made an impact on your life? Just a hands up. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Turn around, my friend. He doesn't want to look. Turn around. You need to see. You need to see. Turn around. No, you're not even looking the right direction. Keep turning. Keep turning. Keep your hands up. Come on. The Bible says to give credit where credit is due. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not putting your identity in that. We know your heart. But you need to see what God has done. For the word of God is alive and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and the spirit. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Somehow that's cased within that gray matter inside your skull. But beyond that, deeper than that is the spirit. And the mind can get messed up, but the spirit stays in tune with God. You can have an accident, crack your coconut, and you can only go, I know that's that's not right. You can write me nasty letters later. But the spirit can be laying in there. In a situation like that, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a hospital room or a nursing home, and someone can't even put a sentence together, but if I sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Hands go up, their hearts open up, and they begin to have an experience in God. Why? Because only God can divide between your mind, will, and emotions and your spirit. And he starts in your spirit and then he captivates the mind, will, and emotions. As you crack open the word, the word changes you. The more you change, the more you become like him. And out of the innermost part of your being comes life. And that life, that life comes from God goodness, I'm having fun. I did not think this message was going to be fun. Mm. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, the completeness of a person, and both the joints and the marrow. This word is so powerful, it can get into your body. The word says... That God not only quickens my spirit, but he can quicken my mortal body. I don't understand that. But just two weeks ago, I had people line up here that testified to you of miracles that they'd been believing for for years. And it happened in an instant. When the spirit of God quickened them. Boom. I feel sorry for those 
who don't think God will heal the body. I feel sorry because I've had him heal me so many times. I know it's real. I know his heart. I know God doesn't want us to suffer. These things came because of sin. There is sickness and disease because of the actions of sin. And God wishes that none would perish. Would you all leave me alone so I can finish reading this scripture? It gets to the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight. Not a creature exists that's concealed from his sight. But all things are open and exposed and revealed to the eyes of him with whom we have to give an account. There's accountability to Christianity. Yes. Yes. Yes, because the standard sets our standard. God, the creator, has the right to say what's acceptable and what is not. You will not find, I don't know how I'm going here, but I got to do it. You will not find many churches today who will even mention heaven's gates and hell's flames they stop at heaven's gates oh everybody goes wait a minute that's not what the word says and the word is the standard of god the word is so important i know it's in my notes somewhere i might as well just throw it out here now the word is so important god placed his word above his name golly If you think I'm crazy, come back. It gets worse. <laughs> she even, she still claims me. But listen. The word is very, very clear. That God... His word is so rich and productive that God himself placed his word in the highest position of prominence above his name. His name tells you who he is. His name tells you his character. In fact, he didn't even really give his name. He just gave his character to Moses. I am. And whatever you need, I am. And whatever's plaguing you, I am. I can fix it. God thinks his word is more important to know than you knowing his name. We've given him all kinds of names, Yahweh, Jehovah. We've come up with all kinds of names. But the only name God's ever called himself is I am. 
This is why when Jesus stood in the garden and they came to arrest him, when he spoke the covenant name of God, all of those who came against him in the garden were overpowered and overwhelmed by his word. The word that came out of his mouth was his name. And everyone hit the dirt. Pow! And we're going to arrest him? If his name is so powerful that it can flatten you, what can his word do? If his name is so strong, it can lay you prostrate on the ground and cause you to wonder what happened. What kind of power does his word have? The world cannot produce a power as strong as the word. This is not in my notes. You get this for free. Tell your neighbors, it's free. The world can assemble its power and destroy. Boom! And it all goes up in smoke. Woo! But God, at the mention of his word, can change a life and bring something that was dead alive again. Wow, that was weak. That was good. That was good for the, the, pres, the, 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 the Presma Methodist Church, but that doesn't work here. You see, outside of the tomb of Lazarus, The Zoe, the life of God, came out of the mouth of the master. And someone who ritually was beyond the grave could never be brought back. Three days it's possible to bring a body back according to Jewish custom. But if it goes beyond the third day, it is impossible. They are beyond the veil. They will not come back. Yet, uh, when, uh, when Jesus, uh, the power and the life, the resurrection and the life, the Zoe, stood in that place... And the Anastasis spoke right into the tomb. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And all those who mourners who were paid to wail and to cry outside of the tomb stood in utter shock when that body that was wrapped up like a mummy in those grave cloths came bouncing out that door. They wanted to pass out because this was impossible, but nothing is impossible in the Word of God. The Word of God is life. It is life. And it brings life. 
And Jesus in that moment was representing the word because John knew how to package him for you and me to get our mind around it because the word says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and nothing was made except that he created it. So when the word, when the word, I didn't even have my Bible, when the word speaks, it's as concrete as the foundation underneath this building it will not return void it will accomplish what it was sent to do y'all are too radical for me the soil in this parable represents four types of heart condition number one a hard heart that one that the seed just won't penetrate. Just won't. The second is the shallow heart. It'll take it for a season, but it never roots. They never take it serious enough to let the word root in them. They crack the Bible when they hear the message once. Or they walk for a short season, but it never really sinks in the third condition of heart is the crowded heart oh they accept Christ they're excited to know him they're excited to let him down deep inside they're excited that they've met him and they start off with a bang and everything looks good for a season but then slowly life keeps creeping back in. Creeping back in. Creeping back in. Creeping back in. Until one day, they can't find him. One day, they know of him, but they don't know him. And the last one is the one that everybody in this room wants to be. A fruitful a fruitful heart. One that you can glean from. One that can help somebody else. One that can reach into somebody else. Now we get tired and we get weary sometimes in well-doing. So it's very, very important that we take moments of rest and steal into God and stay in his word. Because the enemy's going to come along to try to distract you. And the more he can distract your mind and keep you out of the word, the weaker you become. Until you come up against circumstances and troubles and you'll feel defeated before you even get started. Simply because you're not letting the word be the energizer that it is. Is this too hard? So I just want to know, hard heart, shallow heart, crowded heart, fruitful heart, which category do we fit in? And I cannot determine that for you. Only God can. But if I tell the truth, I've been in each one of these categories at some stage of my walk with Christ, if I'm honest. There are certain lessons that you might as well hit me with a board between the eyes because I'm too stubborn to get it. Oh, gosh, you're holy. This is the most holy crowd. There have been times when I got it, but I'm just too busy with everything else. 
and I didn't let it really take root. And I don't know about you, but like the children of Israel, I've had to round the mountain a few times to get this thing right. Wow, you people are holy. I could just see the halos in this room. It's amazing. <laughs> well, of course, the goal is to be a fruitful heart, the active doer of the word. But that takes work. Ain't no sense in soft soaping, right? It takes work. If you make this commitment for Christ, you're going to have to work at it. You can sit there bored. You can sit there and act like this, that, or the other. But I'm here to tell you, you're going to have to work at it. You ain't going to just sit there and absorb. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to crack the word open. You're going to have to get a hold of it. You're going to have to get a hold of God. You're going to have to cry out to him. You're going to have to apply the things that you learn. It takes work. And if we're going to have a fruitful heart, it takes a measurable progress. I can't sit around at the starting line and do nothing. When I say yes to Christ, I've said yes and committed myself to him and his way for the rest of my life because he holds my eternity. And so I have to now start taking measurable means of progress to make sure I'm on the path of growth. Can you say amen to that? Now that takes a pruning and a weeding and a working and a sweating. It takes keeping distractions from taking root and choking out your desire to be fruitful. It takes survival against the elements, trials that beat against your progress and growth, like hail, wind, drought, flood, critters, demons that come to devour your fruit. Make sure they bring all of these things and all of these elements against your little planting because they don't want you to grow. Because if you grow, you become a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And there's nothing Satan fears more than a believer who believes. Come on. We've, yeah. We've planted churches all around this nation. There are churches all around this nation now that won't mention there's a hell, won't mention there's a judgment, won't mention it, and they tell you that everybody's fine and everybody's going to heaven. And they'll tell you there are many pathways to the Father. But Jesus made it very, very clear there's one. There's one. And Jesus is his name. Discipleship is not for the faint of heart. Are we disciplined learners or are we slothful, lazy gadabouts, busybodies who just like to attend church for a social setting? Or do we have some social agenda that we want the church to get behind? And so if that church backs our little social agenda, we'll get behind it and we'll get in and we'll work. If you're going to be a true disciple, just understand that true discipleship is costly and dedicated. 
Like a gardener, you just can't throw seed on the ground and walk away and expect a harvest. You have to daily tend the seed you've sown. Salvation is not just a repeated prayer. I lost half of the church right there. Salvation, not just our church, the church. Salvation is not just a repeated prayer. You can repeat it till your tongue snaps off its roller and it won't make you saved. Oh my, I'm going to be in trouble. People going to throw stones at me. They're going to dress me up in the devil suit tonight. No, true salvation is a challenge to change the direction and the course of your life. It's coming to him in surrender and saying, whatever you want, I will bend and bow to your will as I learn to purge myself of mine. Mm-hmm. I, ter- I coined a term some time ago, salvation is the all-out sellout. The all-out sellout. It's the challenge to change and to change for good. The all-out sellout. I'm selling out everything to God the Father through Christ Jesus the Son. And then I partner with the Holy Spirit to endure to the end. Whether that be the end of my life or the sounding of the trump, that is the commitment that I made to be saved. If that's the commitment you made, let the Lord know it. Everybody look at your watch, moan, get it over with. We're almost done. (laughs) We have to tackle both sin and character issues to weed out the underbrush of adversity that is stealing your usable soil for fruit production. Oh, that was a mouthful. We have to tackle both sin and character issues to weed out the underbrush of adversity that is stealing our usable soil for fruit production. (laughs) If you're going to go all the way with Christ into salvation, you become a fruitful, useful citizen of the kingdom of God on earth. Purpose. Now, let's not leave it there. We've determined we want to be fruitful. But what about the other types of soil? A hard heart. This individual hears the truth and has the potential to soften to God's truth. But the enemy comes immediately to steal what they've heard. And even though it's heard, it can't take root unless there's a softening to what they've heard. So the enemy just picks them off 
before they can receive the depths of God's love and intention for their life. Without them turning to God, this becomes so tragic. People that you hand a ticket to, some will reject it immediately. Some will take it home and throw it on a table. Some will throw it in the trash. Some will toss it the moment you walk away because there's a hardness in their heart and they're not ready to hear. The next is the shallow heart. They receive the word, but they cannot produce any root. They can't change their character. They can't change their character. And for them, it's short-lived transformation. It was accepted, but not allowed to become priority. It fades in even the slightest of testings. The crowded heart, this one to me is the most tragic. The other two types didn't get rooted. They either ignored or played with the idea of a sellout. But this person knows the truth intimately because it has taken root. They have wept at an altar. They have cried out for God's way. They have started to change things. But when life gets burdensome or distracted, they follow the burden or the distraction until they can't find where Christ was originally planted in their life. In fact, he's become a byproduct of their life and really no longer existent. What a heartbreaking situation to have known Christ, but to have lost that relationship to the clutter you refuse to clear out. Has anyone ever watched the show on television? I've seen it a time or two called Hoarders. To be overtaken by stuff that suffocates the quality of your life. To feel so insecure that you've just got to get so much stuff until it suffocates the life out of you and becomes dangerous because mold and mildew and things begin to grow in areas you cannot detect because it's so cluttered. Hmm. To be overtaken by the stuff that suffocates the quality of your life, peace, your joy, and your happiness. To only end up in a lonely, miserable existence buried under the fear that God could even possibly find me in this mess. (laughs) Passion Church, do not give up hope on these people. Everyone can, if they choose, can make a turnaround. Everyone can choose a turnaround. Our job is to present the truth and to let the seed of the word land where it may on every type of soil. Then to disciple, to teach our new believers how to garden. 
Come on, we can't just get them to say the sinner's prayer. Walk away and expect their life to change. This is what's been wrong with outreach programs for so long. Evangelists love to get you to the altar. They love to get you to mumble the sinner's prayer. But then they want to move on to the next soul because they get a high out of every person and every notch in their belt. But they don't stay with you long enough or point you in a direction long enough to help you get... To, Help you become stable and get the character changes in you that you need to sustain the long haul for the, for the cause of Christ. They don't know how to weed. They don't know how to take care of the underbrush. They don't know how to change their character. They don't know how to change their addictions. They don't know that the word of God is so energized and so powerful that whatever they're facing, the answer is here. It is here in this world. It can make the difference for you. It can go deep, 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 deep and do a deep work in you. And the more you come to the word, the more weeding that happens in your life, the more control you gain. And the more control you gain in Christ living for him, the more productive your life becomes. And soon the limbs of your heart are filled with fruit that others can pick from and eat from and get sustenance from. God wants every one of us to teach our community how to garden the gospel of God in the heart of every seeker. The word teaches us how to root out, pluck up, and to destroy the sins and works of the enemy and how to plant, tend, and fertilize to keep the soil pliable for a harvest. I for one am not willing to give up on the man who's hard-hearted today. I for one am not ready to give up on the person that didn't get rooted. And I'm not ready to give up on the person who got crowded out. Because I know for the grace of God it could have been me. For the grace of God, this message has taken me, <laughs> wow, over 50 years to perfect in my life. Over 50 years. 46 of those years I have been standing up either singing or proclaiming the gospel of Christ while growing myself, while changing myself, while becoming someone else. Changing. Standing before people knowing there's a flawed man in front of the audience he's speaking to. But allowing the word to deep root in me and change the man before your eyes. That's all right. You can clap if you want to. Now, let me finish this. Let me finish this. Tonight, through this beautiful ministry, we have the right to present the true gospel. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. That's the real gospel. And God bless you, Brandon, Lindsay. Thank you for that heart.
There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And we're not too timid to say it. And we're not too timid to reach to somebody else and to hold out and to hold on to them. If you're not in the production tonight, you very well may be here working with us at the altar. This is why I put people through year after year a course that teaches true discipleship. A course that empowers you to make a difference in someone else's life. The gospel should never be a personality cult where one man does it all and he's the focus and everybody thinks he does no wrong. The gospel is believers who are changing daily, working together, fitly joined together, every joint supplying something different in the body. The most freeing thing that Passion Church has ever done is for me to step back as you begin to get a hold of your giftings and to watch you flourish in the giftings God has given you. It has empowered my life. This is the gospel. This is how it's supposed to be. What you have, the giftings, the abilities you have, you share with someone else until they have them. You help them. You cultivate them. You strengthen them. You encourage them. Because 99%, and probably more than that, probably 99, 99.100% of your Christian life is lived outside of these walls. We only come in here to get fired up so we can go out there and live it. And tonight, we have the chance to stand and watch God fulfill the promise he gave us that this region would ignite in revival. Tonight, we have the chance to put our hand to the plow one more time for the betterment of the kingdom. Because there are souls out there who can preach better than me sitting under a bridge. There are people out there who can sing a whole lot better than me and they're doing nothing. There are people out there who can win souls better than I can. They just don't know it yet. They're waiting for their moment every head bowed and every eye closed. You're here today. Something I said sparked something in you. And maybe you didn't recognize yourself as good soil. Maybe you saw yourself as distracted or not rooted or maybe just hard in some areas. 
if that's you, I just want you to come quickly. Don't hesitate. Just come because we want to take a moment to pray with you. We want to take a moment to minister to whatever need you may be experiencing today. If that's you, unashamedly, unafraid, just come. Just come. Those of you that are watching by television, thank you for tuning in. God bless you. If you've heard what I've said today and something that I said resonated in your heart and in your mind that said, I'm not sure I'm good soil. I'm not sure I'm producing a harvest. I'm not sure anyone can eat from my tree. Doesn't have to end that way for you. You don't have to stay in that condition. By an act of your will, you can say yes as the Holy Spirit leads. He's leading if you feel it in your heart, you feel it in your mind that there needs to be a change. He's already leading. All you have to do is follow him. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. But living for God doesn't end with one simple prayer. It means this is my beginning. The commencement. I'm saying goodbye to the old way. And I'm embracing the new. Saints across the house and Passion Church, help me pray and just repeat after me as we pray with these watching by television. Sweet Lord Jesus, I recognize in me the inability to produce something lasting for the kingdom. I need you. I need change. And I need you to help me have the will to change. I will make the word of God my priority for it has the power to change me from the inside out. My character can align with the character of Christ Jesus if I will get out of your way. So I bend my will to you and I receive every commandment of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've made that commitment, please let us know. Please contact us. We want to know that you made that commitment.